You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. It's really about understanding, okay, well, this is a potential vector for somebody trying to get at me, and I should be wary of that every single time I get a link. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Carol Terrio returns. She's got an interview with a couple of researchers from a firm called Lookout who analyzed a phishing scam with over 4,000 victims. And we are back. Joe, I'm going to kick things off this week. And uh, I'm going to start by asking you this. Are you a fan of the TV show The Walking Dead? No, Dave, I am not. I have, um, you, have you ever watched it? I have watched it. I tried to like this show, but it is too much like every other zombie themed thing out there. And I just don't like zombie anything. I just I think it's derivative. <laughs> I think it's boring. I think it's not, uh-huh. you know, I just yeah. don't care for it. OK, well, I watched it for the first few seasons. I thought it was interesting just about kind of what happens when society breaks down, hmm. um, which, uh, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> <How apropos. laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully it won't come to that. But I, too, lost interest in it. I thought it got repetitive and it seemed like they kind of had the Gilligan's Island problem, which is that, you know, you, you can't there, – there is going to be no solution to this. Why don't right? they just kill Gilligan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The, well, yeah. I knew. Anyway, we can get into the, all the reasons why uh, right. The Walking Dead is implausible and uh, and who's who keeps mowing all the lawns on right. that show. But um, – one of the actresses from that show, her name is Sabrina Gennarino. She had been supporting someone online who was doing a GoFundMe campaign and it claimed that he had cancer. So uh. a 30-year-old gentleman named Chris King uh, and he had attracted uh, the attention of uh, this actress and she had used her notoriety, she had used her uh, reach on social media and elsewhere to – kind of back up this GoFundMe campaign, and they'd raised over $36,000. Right. Well, as it turns out, the local police, this is the Lehigh Township Police, were tipped off about this gentleman. And uh, they went to him and asked him what was going on. Did he really have cancer? And uh, initially, he sent them to uh, Temple University Hospital. He sent them to uh, St. Luke's Hospital. He sent them to a dentist. He sent them to a pharmacy. Basically, he sent them all over town to track down medical records, and it turns out those medical records never existed because Mr. King never actually had cancer. Huh. Now, he claimed to the district attorney that what he was actually doing was raising money to help his fiancée's father, who had died recently from a terminal illness, I suppose in that case, helping the fiancée's father's family, took these folks for over $36,000, so far, GoFundMe has paid back just about $1,500, and the folks from GoFundMe say they're working with law enforcement to try to get restitution, get the money back, basically, to all the donors. And, of course, this woman, this actress, Miss uh, Gennarino, uh, she's left with egg on her face. Uh, yep, she thought absolutely. she was doing the right thing, thought she was supporting someone, and turns out the whole thing, what the law enforcement has concluded and a judge has concluded, is that this gentleman was scamming people. Yeah. Now, the, his defense attorney claiming that he has some mental health issues, that mm-hmm. um, 
he's had a, a rough life and and so on. Well, defense uh, attorneys but, are going to do what defense attorneys do, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, well, and even even if all that is true, it doesn't justify uh, scamming people out of $36,000 for a, a false claim that he has cancer. Yeah, this guy kind of hit it big when he got Miss Generino's attention, right? Because yeah. she has fame and, like you said, the reach. And as soon as she starts saying, hey, let's help this poor guy out. And if 10,000 people see that and 1,000 of them give the guy 10 bucks, there's 10 grand, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. a numbers game. My story has a similar numbers game thing in it, but you know th- this is how these things work. But oddly enough, I think that may have been what caused his downfall here because he got all this attention. He got the attention of somebody who knew who he was, and they said, uh, this isn't right, and they notified mm. law enforcement, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, and I think the part of why I wanted to draw attention to this is that I've certainly noticed that here in the United States, we see more and more of these GoFundMe campaigns for people with health issues for our listeners outside of the United States, it may be hard for you to believe that we have to go to our friends and family to pay for things like medical care. But uh, that is the reality here these days. And so I know I've been contacted by, you know, friends of friends, and I have donated to some of these campaigns when I've had uh, close friends have this sort of need. But there's Mm -hmm. been times when I've been skeptical where I, I really have to Take a close look before I consider one of these to make sure that uh, it's a legitimate need, that it's actually someone I know or that the person who's recommending it to me knows well enough that that I consider it to be legit. Yeah. In fact, I'm thinking of one right now I I know. I've never met the person who brought it up, but they brought it up on a podcast I listened to, and they were talking about one of their good friends. But I do do have interactions with this person, and I, I gave 10 bucks because one of their friends had some cancer. And actually, they got an update. They've made a good recovery. Things are going well for the person. And I like to think that that was true. And in fact, I'm pretty sure I wasn't scammed out of 10 bucks. I'm pretty sure it went to to good use. And I mean, I'm almost certain of it. Yeah. But that's because I have a relationship with the person who made the announcement. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, your heart goes out to the folks who made these donations in good faith because – it may make them think twice about the next time that they want to yeah. be, be generous and that could right. hurt the next person who legitimately needs it. You and I have said this many times in this program, and that is that we would rather get scammed out of a couple bucks from time to time than leave uh, a fellow human who needs help unassisted when we're able to provide that assistance. Right, right. So, All right. Well, uh, it's an interesting story and certainly a cautionary tale. That is my story this week. Joe, what do you have for us? Dave, I have a story from Brian Krebs, and there's going to be a link in the show notes. But this story, the the headline is U.S. government sites give bad security advice. Hmm. And I never thought I'd see the day, Dave, um, (laughs) when we couldn't couldn't count on on our government to give us good advice. Uh, Uh But Brian says in this article that there are many U.S. government websites that now carry a, a message at the top of their homepage that's meant to help visitors distinguish between real sites and phishing sites. And the example he cites here is from the my2020census.gov. Mm-hmm. And up at the top of this page, I'm looking at it right now, it says, an official website of the United States government. And then after that, there's a little link that says, here's how you know, and has a little downward facing arrow. And you click on this link, and I just clicked on it right now. And it says, the .gov means it's official, Right. So Mm. you're up there looking at .gov, 
the federal government websites often end in .gov or .mil before sharing information. Make sure you're on a federal government site. And more on this later. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But the piece of information that's incorrect is it has another column that says the site is secure. The HTTPS colon slash slash ensures that you are connecting to the official website and that any information you provide is encrypted and transmitted securely. Hmm. That is half correct and half false. It's, it's, okay. it's wrong. HTTPS does not ensure in any way, shape, or form that you are connecting to an official website. But it does ensure that your, your message is encrypted and transmitted securely. There are certificates called extended validation certificates, which require a, a significant amount of vetting by the provider. But you have to really trust the certificate provider for that. And you may not know who's the provider of that certificate. So you, you're living here in ignorance. Basically, the wrong part here is you really don't have any way of knowing that you're connecting to the correct site except by entering the correct URL. Hmm. And this statement here that this little lock, this is incorrect information, and it, it harkens back to the early 90s or late 90s, rather, where we would say, make sure you have the lock because that means you're, you're secure. And all it really means is that the data that's transmitted to that site is transmitted in a way that's very difficult for people to intercept and read. Uh, right. That's all it means. And we've talked about this numerous times on, on this program, but I mean, we have to keep hammering on this. That this misconception that HTTPS means the site is totally secure and that you're A-OK, we've got to kill this misconception. Yeah. It's yeah. not right. Well, what about the part here that wants you to be reassured because it's a .gov domain? How much uh, do we put into that statement? Well, that has gotten a little bit harder to register a fake .gov domain recently. So the .gov top-level domain, that's what it's called. We, uh, you'll hear it called the TLD as well. That just stands for top-level domain. Uh, that is run by the U.S. General Services Administration, and they oversee the issuance of all .gov domains. And recently, they made it a little harder to get a .gov domain by requiring all applications to be notarized. Krebs says this is a small hurdle, but it is another hurdle that somebody has to go over. Uh, so yeah, I think it doesn't make it much more secure, but it does make it a little more secure. It makes it and now I have to go out and forge a notary stamp. Uh, which may not be hard to do, but yeah. it is something else I have to do. So it's an, it is another hurdle for me to jump over. I've said many times I don't look at security as a binary field. Either either you're secure or you're not secure. I acknowledge there is no such thing as totally secure, right? There's the old XKCD cartoon that says, you know, I can spend thousands of dollars on supercomputing power to try to guess this guy's password, or I can just hit him with this $5 wrench until he tells me the password, right? So right. that... That's the way that ultimately any system is not secure, no matter how good the cryptography is. If I'm willing to and capable of inducing physical harm to somebody, I can get the password. So nothing, nothing is totally secure. So on one end, there's the totally insecure where information is just published. And on the other end, there's you got to beat me with a wrench to get my password. And this kind of moves it along that continuum towards the more secure end. But not much, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's good information. It is time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day this week comes from Twitter user David Yee. He is at the Dave 2006 a name after my own heart. And this is a letter that claims to come from CIBC Bank, the first Caribbean bank, Grand Cayman. 
And uh, it goes like this. I am Mr. Eric Moore, the system software engineer with the remittance department of CIBC, First Caribbean Bank, Grand Cayman Island, former senior project and programmer manager at Deutsche Bank, a trusted advisor for over 20 years. I came across your file diskette, which was marked X, and your release disk painted red. I took time to study it and found out some top directors of this bank are interested in your money because it is a large amount. In fact, they have planned to frustrate all your good efforts so that they will be able to divert your fund. I carefully studied your release disc, and I found out the people you have been dealing with in the past are not telling you the truth. It is obvious that they all have personal interest in your money and have no plans of releasing the money to you. Their plan is to frustrate you with continuous upfront payments so that you will abandon your money, thereby giving them the chance to divert your money to themselves. The most painful part is that these people do not have the fear of God in them. I will help you get your fund, but you must work with me discreetly, as I cannot expose them because of the fact that they are top officials of this bank. All I need is for you to buy two special bank hard disks called the HD212 Gig. Once you send me the money to buy this two new hard disks, I will buy them and I will download your fund transfer coordinates into the two new hard disks, after which I will slot them into our remittance motherboard system and trigger the transfer to hit any bank account you provide. This reads like a William R. Gibson novel. He's going to slot them. <laughs> Once this is done, I will appreciate any amount of money you will give me for helping you. As soon as the fund is confirmed in your nominated bank account, and not before... I believe that you will surely reward me once your money is in your custody. Finally, do not reveal all I have told you to anyone, because nobody is totally unaware of the plan by this directors of my bank to divert your fund. If you reveal what I told you to anyone, then you will have exposed my plan to help you, and I cannot help you again. All I need from you is to buy the required two new special HDD212 gig bank hard disks. Once I hear from you, I will tell you how much it will cost to buy these required bank hard disks and how you will send the money for me to buy them. The money for the purchase of these required bank hard disks will be the only money you will ever have to send. Because once I buy the hard disks, I will use them for the bank to bank wire transfer of your fund. I cannot come back tomorrow and ask you for more money once you have sent the money for the hard disks, because that will make me a scammer. Hmm. By the time your fund is successfully transferred into your nominated bank account, then all the people planning to divert your fund will be exposed, and the devil will put them to shame, which will be a great <laughs> victory for me as a Christian. I will send you a copy of my official ID card in my next email when I hear from you ASAP, waiting for your immediate reply. Yours sincerely, Eric Moore, Remittance Department, First Caribbean Bank, and Cayman Island. I love this one. This one is great <laughs> because it has so many of the components, right? It starts off with, I've been doing this for 20 years. Here's my resume. He goes back to Deutsche Bank, which, of course, he hasn't worked there. But it's interesting that he gives some employment history in this as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. He came across his diskette. This email was sent in 2020. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know uh, <laughs> who, who uses diskettes anymore. When's the last time you handled a diskette? I don't. And it was more than twenty years ago. Um, <laughs> you know, for, I mean, for legitimate reasons. I mean, I've I've come across them in my cleaning out my office within the past five years. I think I have literally destroyed all of my existing diskettes. I don't huh. have them anymore. He has the appeal to religion and, and Christianity here, fear of God, yep. and, and mentions the devil. That's yep. great. I love that he says here that uh, I won't come back be and ask you for more money because that would make me a scammer. Oh, that that's what makes you a scammer, asking for more money, <laughs> not asking to buy a couple of hard drives to do a wire transfer. But that's not how wire transfers work, right? Yeah. It's, you yeah. don't need 
Uh. I like that he doesn't uh, say what the price of the hard disks is until he hears back. Right. Oh, right? yeah. That's that's how he knows he has a live one. Yep. If I said to you, Dave, these hard disks are going to cost five hundred dollars, you're going to be like, this is a scam. Yeah. I I wonder, too, about evoking the Grand Cayman Islands, because I think in a lot of people's minds, that's probably, oh, that's a place where people hide money. So even maybe this is a big mistake, but I could I could benefit from it, even if they have the wrong person. You know, I'll I'll profit. There's that vector as well. Interesting that this comes from a ProtonMail email account, which is pretty good. We should put a link in the show notes to this tweet because uh, David, you did a really good job of posting the, the entire thing. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, Carol Terrio is back. She has an interview with Aperva Kumar and Kristen Del Rosso. They're from Lookout, and they analyzed a phishing scam that reeled in over 4,000 victims. And we are back. Joe, it's always great to have Carol Terrio on the show. And recently she spoke with Aperva Kumar and Kristen Del Rosso. They are from a security firm called Lookout. And they took a closer look at a phishing scam that was uh, quite successful. Here's Carol Terrio's story. I have a great treat for you today. I met up with two researchers from Lookout, a mobile anti-malware company. Meet Aperva Kumar and Kristen Del Rosso. The three of us chatted about a mobile phishing campaign that they have researched. Not only did we have a really interesting conversation, but they share some seriously good tips that might help you avoid falling in the trap. But make your own mind up. So welcome, Aperva and Kristen. Both of you are security research engineers at Lookout. So what's that like? I love it. It's, I think, one of the most fun jobs because we get a poke into what the newest mobile threats are and figure out, you know, who's being targeted, different, you know, interesting ways attackers are going after trying to compromise people's devices. And so it's always a new day at the office. This is so great to be speaking to both of you because I personally find it a little bit scary how powerful mobile phones are. I mean, they're literally mini supercomputers and the things that people can do to bypass our natural security thoughts like, oh, I have a password, so everything's fine. I mean, it just feels much easier to get duped these days. People are also naturally much more trusting because you have this device in your hand, in your pocket at all times, and you have personal connections through that device to your Instagram or your contacts your pictures. And so you might be wary of odd emails or you know about malware for computers, but people tend to forget that your phones aren't this always a safe little place that you can just look at and enjoy some pictures. Well, the topic we're talking about today is going to help people understand or think about it differently. So you both have done some research on a recent phishing campaign. And what made this one unusual or less usual is that it targets mobile or cell phone users. This is a banking phishing attack. So this is trying to dupe people like me, and they're trying to use my mobile phone to get to me rather than using email. So what do they do? How does that work? This particular attack is actually very typical of what we see on a regular basis, like maybe two or three times a week. It's very easy to use and deploy by the attacker. That's what we really wanted to highlight in this story. If I was the attacker, I would buy this phishing kit, this set of HTML files online, if for 10 or $15 and put them up on a website, send out links to your victim. So in mass to everybody who you can find or bulk sets of phone numbers that you can find online. And then once a link is with a victim, the victim would click the link and end up on that site 
enter in the information and suddenly all of your credentials have been compromised for your bank account. And so say I'm a victim that a perva is trying to, you know, she doesn't know me by name, but I just happen to receive one of these text messages pretending to be my bank or telling me to log in. It usually has an interesting lure in the message of, oh, reset your password or something like that. And so when I click on that link, the pages for this phishing campaign in particular, they were designed to look like it was meant to be displayed on a mobile phone. So it had additional hyperlinks for, you know, connecting to mobile applications or resetting certain uh, mobile settings. And so this is interesting because on a mobile device, the screens are often smaller. People tend to trust it more. You might not see that the URL at the top isn't the legitimate bank's URL. A lot of things that you would on a desktop look for in a phishing campaign, you wouldn't necessarily be as quick to observe on your phone, which is why this is also effective. That's where I think I have trouble with this is that most people, maybe it's only in the UK or Europe, I don't know, but we use banking apps to get access to everything. So how does it bypass that? Oh, absolutely. So that's exactly what it's banking on. It's it's hoping that you don't realize that the interface is not your banking app. So if you actually, ah. this is what kind of tips us off that it is a mobile focused attack, because when we re- research it and open it up in our laptops, we actually see that it's not, it doesn't look right. It doesn't fit right. But if you open the same link on a phone, it looks very, very similar to what you would see the login page for your banking app. So if you weren't paying attention, which is normally what happens when you look at stuff on your mobile device, you would access the link or click on the link. And then suddenly it looks exactly like your banking app. So you think nothing's gone wrong. Enter in your credentials and away they go. I know also, though, with apps, I'm presuming a lot of them are already pre-logged in or use your fingerprint to kind of get access to them. Is this more targeting people that are always logging in? I would suddenly go, oh, why am I not logged in? Or why do I have to go through the entire login process as opposed just to the final step? Like for someone who is paying attention, that might be giving you pause. But I even know personally, like I use the same banking apps every day on my phone and every now and then they'll make me re-enter my password manually because Face ID doesn't, you know, it will have a certain timeout period. Um, But these phishing links, they don't, they're not trying to compromise the application itself. So when you click on it from the text message, it just takes you to your browser on your phone. And it's meant, it's not necessarily even trying to pretend to be the banking app interface, but rather, you know, you can access your bank on the browser on your phone or in the application either way. And so this is just attempting to appear like the browser access to it. Now, how many banks were affected by this? They're sending this out, this mass SMS spam to all these people. They're just hoping they get the right bank with the right number? Absolutely, yeah. So we found that this particular attack was actually a North American mm-hmm. focused. All of the banks targeted were really TD and Scotiabank and a couple of others in Canada, as well as one or two in the US. The other thing to mention here, too, it's not like the actor in particular has maybe an agenda against one of these banks. They're just picking the most popular banks in that region. And it's kind of a spray campaign, you know. Yeah. So that means basically that we have to keep our wits about us as, you know, users of these apps and, uh, you know, of online banking, because it's obviously super convenient, right? The education is absolutely paramount, especially in terms of the mobile field. You have to understand how your mobile works and how you react to it to be able to see. <laughs> I don't even it. know how my car works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what makes these attacks so effective is really just user education. It's more than just that boring course that you have to do at work for safety protection or like security protection. It's really about understanding, OK, well, this is a potential vector for somebody trying to get at me. And I should be wary of that every single time I get a link. Yeah, I think people are you know, getting more 
and more aware of what can actually happen. So do you have any like quick takeaways? Yeah, for sure. So one thing, if you get a link sent to you by a text message from an unknown number, a lot of the, you know, very rarely do I think it's something valid. So definitely probably don't click on those. But if you do get these short links that get sent around where it doesn't show you the full URL on your phone, you can actually hold down your finger on that link until like at the bottom, something else will pop up and show you what the full URL is for it without you actually having to click on it. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's one good thing you can do before you even click on it. Or the other thing is say you do click on it, it takes you to the browser. Uh, just go into the URL bar so you can read through what it is because they might try and make it say the bank's name.com, but then they don't have that domain obviously because it's owned by the bank. So there will be some changes there. So you can make sure it doesn't, if it looks suspicious or not. Yeah, totally. Never click on that link directly, either through email, SMS, text, uh, IM, or however you get it. If your bank is trying to contact you, go to one of your bookmark on your phone or, or your banking app and log in through there. Just never ever try to think that the link will guide you to the right place because that that's just the best way to stay almost completely safe. Okay, I have a question for you. So let's say someone is in the situation where they just get that kind of creepy feeling that they think they might have maybe given their credentials to something that may not have been their bank. Would you recommend they change their password immediately and alert the bank or is there any other steps they should take? I would rechange my password. I, you know, three years ago, I felt before I was even in the mobile security world, I got one of these messages about changing my iTunes password and I clicked and rechanged it. And then I didn't see anything happening. I was like, oh, that's odd. And so I went back to the text message, clicked the link again, and then changed it again. <laughs> and it didn't work. And then yeah. five minutes later, walking down the street, I was like, hmm, that definitely wasn't Apple. And so I logged in from yeah. my computer and changed it to like a whole new password. And since then, haven't had any compromises or anything. But definitely, if you think you might have given it away, I would say change your password. Yeah, because you have to pay attention to that little icky feeling that sometimes you get when you do something a little bit. You know, they're like, hey, the icky feeling is good as long as it alerts you. And then this also brings in the other point of just use a password manager because it'll save your life. Because if you do have to change your password or a different password for each site, password managers are great. (laughs) You know what? You guys have convinced me I'm buying a Faraday cage for my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Approven, Kristen, thank you so much for making time to talk to us about this today. And folks out there, pay attention to the text message you get and don't enter information willy-nilly. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. All right, interesting stuff, huh, Joe? Dave, this is a really good interview. I liked it a lot. Let me see if I can suss some of this out. Number one, people do trust their devices. Uh, That is a great point. Mm -hmm. I think it was Kristen that made that point early on in the interview. You know, you have this with you all the time. You look at it. You you play games on it. You communicate on it. This is probably the single most trusted computer that you will ever own is your is your mobile device. Aperva does a really, really good job of describing this kind of attack. And what's amazing is how easy and inexpensive it is to conduct one of these attacks. Uh, she says you can get the phishing kit for $15 and then find a list of phone numbers and you can run with this and harvest banking credentials. Hmm. That's it. There's mm-hmm. nothing else to it. Yeah. One of the reasons it does work, and we've talked about this in the show before, is because screen real estate is at a premium on mobile devices. But I think I have a solution, Dave. We all need to get like really, really big cell phones, right? I see. And I mean, yes, we'll look ridiculous holding these things up to our face, uh, Uh a a seven or eight inch tablet. But that's that's the solution. I'm I'm joking, of course. Um, There's got to be a better solution than this. Well, but it is interesting that these scammers are willing to focus on mobile devices – 
and disregard desktop machines. Right. The, the value proposition is such that they know where they're going to be most effective. Yeah. A lot of people use mobile devices as their sole computing device. My wife, for example, spends exponentially more time on her mobile device than she does on her laptop. And in yeah. fact, to the point where I just started keeping her laptop in my office so it could run updates, right, on a regular basis, because that's how <laughs> infrequently she used it. There are statistics out there for how much more mobile is used over using a desktop computer. Now, I'm I'm kind of an old, I don't know, old guy on this. I really like the action and feel of a desktop computer. I'm really not even a big fan of laptops. I, I still mm. like my desktop. So I do a lot more work on my desktop. I really don't like doing mobile banking on my phone. But with this coronavirus thing going on, I'm going to have to do some mobile banking. It's just mm. going to have to be something I do. I don't like it, but I'm going to have to do it. Uh, this campaign is a very spray and pray campaign, or maybe, maybe a better way to say it is spray and pray with an E, right? Pray. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's definitely a numbers game for these guys, and they can do it because it's so cheap. I mean, the, the kit costs 10 or $15. If that's my expense, and I can get 4,000 people to give me their credentials, the return on that investment is enormous, Yeah. right? I can sell those credentials because chances are the people running this phishing campaign aren't the people that are going to steal your money out of your bank account. They're probably not equipped to do that. They probably have a buyer that they're going to sell that information to, and those people are going to go in and try to steal money out of your bank. Yeah. Interesting, too, that, again, with this numbers game, the odds are, I suppose, that I'm going to send you the wrong bank. You know, I'm going to send you the login page for the bank you don't use. Right. But enough people are going to get the bank that they do use that it still pays off. That's correct. That's yeah. absolutely correct. When it comes to protecting yourself against these kind of scams, the biggest and best advice that they both give is don't click the link. You know, we say that endlessly. I know that some people say that's not good advice. Sometimes you have to click the link. I say you don't click the link. And if you get an email, uh, a message like this, you go to either the app or the web page and log in manually. Well, and don't most banks these days, if certainly if you're doing business with a, one of the big banks, they're going to ha have an app, right? Yeah. Chances are you won't have to interface with them through the web on your mobile device. Right. That's correct. So use yeah. the app. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Use, open the app on your phone. Don't click the link because I, I know a lot of these links will actually try to open up the app on your phone. Like mm -hmm. if you click on a Reddit link, the first thing it asks you is, do you want to open the Reddit app? And I'm like, no, I don't want to open the Reddit app. I don't have the Reddit <laughs> app. I want to use the web like the web, please. I don't need an app for every web page I visit. That's not the intent of the web. But now I'm sounding like angry old man who's yelling in the microphone. Um, <laughs> Kristen did say to look at the browser bar. But if you don't know that you're looking at a web page and you think you're looking at an app, if, if this, this uh, web page is designed to look just like your banking app, you may not even know that you're on a web page, and the thought to check the, the, the address bar may never occur to you. Yeah, if you know you're on a, a web page, check the address, but it may, that may never, may never be something that you even think about. Right, and it goes back to what you were saying about that real estate real being estate a premium. Problem. Yeah, right. Yeah. I really like Kristen's story about her iTunes experience where somebody scammed her out of her iTunes password, and she quickly changed the password. How it dawned on her as she's walking down the street, and she goes, that probably wasn't Apple. And I think that happens a lot, right? That, that you, you do something and then you kind of think about it or passively or you, you're not really thinking about it, but subconsciously you're processing it. And then all of a sudden the light goes off and ding, uh, I just gave away mm -hmm. my password. So she very quickly mm -hmm. changed her password and didn't have a problem with it. That's excellent. If you do get scammed by one of these things, 
immediately change your password and call your bank and let them know what happened, that you had this happen. Any suspicious activity, they want to keep an extra eye on your account if they can. Well, and it also makes me wonder that if anybody who had multi-factor authentication enabled with their bank, right. this scam wouldn't have been effective on them, right? No, it would not have been effective. But multi-factor authentication is, uh, particularly hardware multi-factor authentication, is a little more difficult to do on a mobile device. I mean, actually, it's getting easier. The YubiKeys that I have now have a little near-field communication chip in them that will conduct themselves just as if it's plugged into the phone. But you know, my devices are, my old device doesn't have that. My old YubiKey doesn't have that. It has the same level of security, but just not the uh, near-field communication. So I have to actually have to plug it into my phone. And since my phone only has a USB-C input and output, I now have to plug an adapter into my phone and then plug the thing into the adapter. So there's a little bit of a hurdle for me there. But my second YubiKey does have the near-field communication part. So yeah. But I think also we're seeing more and more apps being enabled to use things like the phone itself as the second factor. So, uh, yeah. you know, using uh, if you have a, an iOS device using Face ID or, you know, Google Authenticator, even just sort of clicking through the phone lights up and says, hey, we got the security alert. Was this you? And right. the fact that you have the phone in your possession is the second factor. So yep. it seems like the... They're being successful at, at streamlining this over time, and that, that's a good thing. But I guess the, the bottom line here, the, the reminder is certainly for your banking, if you don't have some sort of multi-factor authentication, please go do that right now. Yes, absolutely. That is the single <laughs> best thing you can do to protect yourself, even against people who have stolen your login credentials. If you have multi-factor authentication and someone steals your username and your password to your bank account, they are still not getting in. It's really going to protect you. Well, our thanks to Carol Terrio for bringing us uh, another great interview. And thanks to Aperva Kumar and Kristen Del Rosso from Lookout for joining us. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 